Hello, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. It is Marlon, and welcome back to Marlon's Corner, a podcast that gives you three reviews in under 30 minutes. Uh, and of course, we're back at it again with some Netflix properties. Today's episode is absolutely going to be shorter than, than most because I am getting ready to go on a work retreat. So you'll get this episode and then next week we're going to take some time off. Well, I will take some time off to recalibrate and reset from all the social time I will have at the retreat and I will recharge those batteries and come back at you uh, in about two weeks with uh, another couple reviews. But today we have some fun reviews for you we're going to be talking about the bubble. We're going to be talking about the last bus. And we'll also be ending on our discussion of Nick and Vanessa Lachey's new dating show, The Ultimatum. We'll save the toxic for last, as I like to say. But let's first start with The Bubble. Uh, the Bubble is a Judd Apatow movie uh, on Netflix that is about uh, these B or C list celebrities doing this very sci-fi-esque dinosaur film. And they it's a mockumentary style film that is showing you what it would be like uh, to shoot this film during uh, the quarant- during the earlier part of our quarantine, if you remember back in the the uh, dark times of our quarantine, if you were in California, I refer to it as uh, the time when the sky was orange and how we just couldn't leave the house. We were just kind of stuck between those four walls and your spouse or your significant other or your cat, and you just that was your that was your entire world. So we get a chance to see that in these actors who are trying to finalize part six of this film franchise known as Cliff Beast. And before I get further into it, let's just give y'all, again, we know this is a Jed Apatow written movie and directed movie. The cast list is amazing off top. You have Karen Gillan, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, Pedro Pascal, Leslie Mann, David Duchovny, uh, Goose Khan. It's just, I, I just want to understand you. Fred Armisen, you have a litany of just really amazing actors in this film who are, quite honestly, all just having a really fun time. Uh, and it shows. It shows throughout all of these things that the, everyone in here is just having a, a pretty grand old time. Now, I told you about the film's kind of premise about these actors who are shooting the sixth part of their franchise, uh, and we get an opportunity to see what that could look like uh, during the quarantine. We know that this is uh, uh, that Judd Apatow went on the record stating that he found the motivation or the inkling to write up this script when he heard that the folks who were shooting the Jurassic Park film were having issues shooting in England due to the quarantine rules that were that were in effect over there. And so he decided to like, what what would that look like? You know, and so this is definitely a C-list Jurassic Park-esque film. You know, uh, Cliff Beast involves these uh, Tyrannosaurus Rexes that have uh, hummingbird wings and are terrorizing the entire planet, but also need to be protected because this is an eco-environmentalist uh, slanted film. Very interesting uh, the way he was able to design this very abstract film. And if you're someone that likes the sci-fi channel, um, i.e. Sharknado or Bear Shark 
or whatever uh, sci-fi property that's thrown out there, this is absolutely going to remind you of all those films. I mean, even down to the really uh, cheesy CGI animal beasts, uh, this is going to make you feel right at home with uh, the with just what's going on with it. And it's a fun ride. It's a film that absolutely knows what it's providing you. It's not out to provide you with some high quality content. It is literally here to give you this pretend story that is more so focused on how insane people went during the quarantine time of the pandemic. You know, you have these actors who are shut in a hotel space for 14 days before they can even start the filming. And then they had to keep going back into quarantine because one person is, you know, going out and gets it and brings it back and they test positive. So everyone has to quarantine to make sure that it doesn't, you know, get spread across the entire uh, film set. Uh, the pro- you have the production company that's just like, we're going to be here until we get this done. And the film at a certain point goes from being very tongue in cheek to at some point literally being uh, a, 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 almost like a kidnapping film where they are not allowed to leave at all until the film is done. And they feel a little bit threatened by that. And the cast just really milks all milks every scene. And we know with Jadapatow, he likes to do a lot of improvisation and he has some really great stars on here to absolutely assist in that, especially Keegan Michael Key, who was playing the character Sean, who is this almost spiritual, almost cult like leader who is coming to grips with like not being the, the new young hotness anymore. And we also get this um Gen Z character who comes on the set to uh just spice things up in a way of like hey like i'm the young person uh and <laughs> that young person is uh irisa apatow which the name absolutely is familiar uh you know the relation is clear uh who's playing crystal chris who is this tiktok celebrity and there are several points in this film where they like do a tiktok and this in any other film this could absolutely be seen as like really ridiculous over the top not funny but the way they choose to just interlay when and where she does her TikToks into the film, I think makes it really funny to just out of nowhere see Keegan-Michael Key and Fred Armisen and David Duchovny doing like TikTok dances out of nowhere. It's, it's worth the watch. It's honestly worth the watch just to see these TikTok dances. And we even get like a Star Wars reunion at some point um, with with Pedro Pascal uh, in a scene where he is with... Daisy Ridley, and they're having this really weird drug fueled uh, sexual escapade. And it's like, oh, we're we're doing a, a Star Wars kind of tie-in. Okay, this film has time for that. Oh no, it's an eight out of ten. Like it's not again. It's important to say this now. This is not a great, like it is not a fantastic film. This is a funny film. This honestly is what I would categorize as films that are just goofy and like kind of bad enough to be entertaining to where it's like, I got to see what's going to happen next. Like, how are you going to end this? And it's, it's great. Watch it with some friends, get some popcorn going. It's a fun ride. And if, if you are a fan of sci-fi films, you will absolutely get all the inner jokes and inner layings of like making these type of films. Because again, these films aren't made for, you know, awards. They're made for a specific fan base that loves them. So if you are a part of that fan base, this is going to speak to you, at least with the uh, subplot of this film uh, in the bubble. So absolutely check it out. 
It's a full, it's a, it's a movie on Netflix. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. And next up, we have a British 10 episode series on Netflix called The Last Bus. Uh, it is about a group of kids who come together during like a techno robot apocalypse type situation that is thrown upon them from uh, a very um, Elon Musk, Tony Stark, uh, Dalton Monkhouse, who wants to save the planet. You know, he's a very strong environmentalist and he realizes that as much as he keeps trying to save the planet, humans keep messing it up for every 10,000 trees he helps grow. They cut down a couple hundred thousand. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to set my robots on humans to pretty much clear the table. And honestly, Dr. Monkhouse is going to be, if you are not so tapped into uh, the British comedy scene, the one actor you will probably know off top is Robert Sahan, who is, we know, as the amazing and uh, drug adult Klaus uh, from Umbrella Academy. So he's going to be the one person that you, of course, will have seen in the Netflix uh, trailers of this series. But every other child actor in this show also does an amazing job. It definitely tries to hit on all the little caricatures of kids in school, the nerdy kid, the outcast kid, uh, the artistic kid, the spunky attitude kid. So they try to give you all these kids. And what's interesting is that this could have gone a different route. This could have been, you know, something a la Stranger Things, but they are keeping it very young, keeping it very PG. And that might have to do with the fact that there are a lot of young uh, child actors in this. So as opposed to kind of going towards, you know, the cursing and the blood that we see in Stranger Things, we instead get a much more uh, PG focused story where it's about the emotional toil that these kids are undergoing and acknowledging that the world is changing around them and how that personally affects their stories. Uh, I think the only not I have about this show is this character, Misha. And I'm just trying to figure out if the character Misha in these 10 episodes is written in a very uh, abrasive and like in your face way. And I'm trying to come to grips if that is a racially motivated character design. We're like, great, this is a black character. So she's going to have an attitude. She's going to be really mean and rude to people. I'm trying to figure out if this character was racially coded beforehand. And they're like, great, this is a black character. Because there's just a lot of dialogue and a lot of just like behavior that I'm like, but why? Like, what did, what did this character hope to get out of this? And also, how is this character hoping to connect with her best friend if at every turn she's being mean to her friend and making her feel stupid. So her aside, Misha aside, I think the rest of the show is still fun, is still engaging. I love the use of a young kid named uh, named Naz, who is just child genius, is child prodigy, who wants to be just like Dr. Monkhouse, who is adamant that this apocalypse that's happening is absolutely not Dr. Monkhouse's fault. Uh, and that he's like, you know, he's trying to save us all. And when we find out and when we get to the end of this series and find out the truth, it is very interesting to see him come to grips with the reality of what's going on 
and how that is going to affect things moving forward. What's important to know is that this is a one season series, but the 10th and final episode of the series does leave it open to the potential of a season two. Now, do I think there will be a season two? I honestly don't know. I think it's it was clever to include Robert Sahan in this since he has that Umbrella Academy tie-in. You know, he has that clout to potentially, you know, progress this forward. We'll see. Netflix is typically pretty um, cutthroat when it comes to shows they bring back for more and more seasons. So we'll see if they got the juice to keep this going because it definitely ended with not a lot of things solved, with a lot of things in the air uh, and up to interpretation of what's going to happen next. So we don't have a complete story yet. We end with one chapter ending and a very open chapter that we could be heading into. So it does feel a bit incomplete once you get to the end of it all. So I am hopeful that there will be a conclusion to the story because honestly, it was pretty entertaining. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed their aspects of it that were definitely E.T. adjacent as well as uh, Iron Giants. It's very Iron Giant meets E.T. in certain areas of, you know, a coming to age story uh, that involves, you know, some potential extraterrestrial robotic beings. So we definitely get those vibes throughout it. Um, this I will I will give a seven out of ten. They're definitely uh, episodes where they lean heavy on the teen drama. And you're just kind of like, can we can we fast forward past this? None of y'all are making sense. This is all over the top. I don't think teens behave like this. Also, it's the end of the world. So I think all of their motivations are a bit in the wrong. Like it's the end of the world, yet they're still kind of maintaining these like kitschy teenage angsty things. So it's like, I feel like, I feel like when the chips are down, you kind of are like in survival mode as opposed to like, I'm going to maintain the status quo and you're a loser type stuff. So interesting there, but still seven out of 10 on Netflix. Give it a watch. And lastly, lastly, I am excited to tell you all that Vanessa and Nick Lachey are back with the toxic drama of the dating world. They are back with another dating show. Uh, no, it's not season three of Love is Blind. That, um, that is already wrapped. This is the ultimatum, marry or move on. And this is about six different couples all on the verge of marriage. But there is one partner that, you know, is like, yo, marriage, I want it. We're doing it. And there's the other partner that's not so sure. So an ultimatum is issued by the partner. Uh, and in, in eight weeks, you know, they have to either commit to marriage or move on. Um, but in the interim of all that, they get an opportunity to choose a new partner uh, to get a glimpse at, you know, hey, is, is this partner down for marriage right now? If so, like, are we compatible? And maybe I want to leave my uh, SO and get this new partner that's like of the same mindset as me. Uh, and what's interesting about this show, and I think you might get it immediately, if you watch Love is Blind, there is a there's an age trend on Love is Blind. And it typically is like, early to mid thirties is love is blind. Like everyone is either like in their thirties or, you know, they're, they're in their thirties and love is blind. They're all in their thirties. They've like done dating for a while and they're looking for love in their thirties. In the ultimatum off top, you will notice that there is only one person that is in their thirties and the rest of them are in their 
early to mid 20s. And it's, it's a very young crowd. And it's wild that everyone of them is like, yes, I want to get married right now. And it's just wild to see these two differing shows. The one show where it's like, yeah, I've been dating a long time and have been able to get married and I'm in my 30s. And the other show is like, yes, I just finished undergrad and I'm looking to lock in marriage right now and have five kids. Like, who's ready? I'm ready right now. Let's do it. And it's just fascinating to see that, oh, these two shows are just drastically different. And I'm wondering if Love is Blind, if they are selecting people that are older in the hopes that there's more success of them actually sticking in the marriage. And in this show with the ultimatum of like, well, let's do younger because, you know, they, they're a little more naive about love and this could be potentially more uh, toxic to watch these young folks who are like, I am so ready for marriage right now. Let's do it. And I honestly am thinking it's that. I'm thinking they're like, yo, this, we got to find the drama. And there is drama in getting these young kids who think they're going to get married out the gate. And it's just fascinating to see them kind of go through these inner workings. You have some who are very much clear that are saying, hey, I'm in my 20s. And yeah, marriage sounds cool. But like, we need to be, you know, mindful that we're in our 20s, you know, like, it's still early. Like we don't have to commit to anything right now. You know, we just finished undergrad or like we just started like actually locking in things. Like there's no rush for any of this to happen. You know, I'm 24. You know, I think we can, we can take our time with this, you know? So, and you have some people who are like, yo, like, you know, I just finished undergrad. I'm thinking of going to grad school, but I still want to get married. Uh, and it's like, yo, you got a whole financial burden you're about to take on. Are you ready for a whole other financial burden of planning this wedding and all these things? All in all, it's fascinating to watch it all play out. It's just different enough to keep your attention uh, from the fact that Love is Blind hasn't come out yet. And I think Nick and Vanessa have another hit on their hands and they know it. This show has 10 episodes and very similar to Love is Blind. The final two episodes come out uh, April 13th. So the final, uh, the ninth episode and the reunion episode come out on the same day. So what that means is that on April 7th or, uh, or the 6th when the show came out, the cast was watch. The cast gets to watch the, the the final cut with the rest of us. So they've all gone through their own thing. They've done their media silence. But on April sixth, just like you and me were watching it, they also were watching it, and they get a chance to see what all had happened uh, leading up to that reunion episode and get a chance to react to it. But yeah, it's it's messy, y'all. It's so messy. Uh, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to see the different personality types. Again, this is also swinging with extra steps, you know, this is because folks are really quick to just like get a new partner off rip. And I get you're signing up for a challenge. I get that a hundred percent. But the fact that there are people who are just like, so tomorrow we're going to find a new partner. Cool, cool, cool. And then like, they like, they're literally in like their pajamas, you know, getting ready. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go to like an outside picnic or a dinner and, and, and mingle, mingle. No, they, the next scene you see where they get to meet these couples and potentially start planning their situationship or their entanglement is at a pool, is at a rooftop pool. Everyone's in their bikinis. Ladies are wearing the, like their, 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 like their fanciest, sexiest outfits. Guys are showing off their muscles and their tattoos. It is full peacocking at this point in time. And I was like, damn, this is what we're doing, y'all. This is how we're doing. People are like, Nick and Vanessa are like, cool. 
Love is Blind is for that show. They, they don't get to see how, how hot everyone is. We're not doing that here. We're getting only the hottest couples, and they're going to see how hot everyone is just to really mix this pot up and really stir up some drama. And it happens almost immediately. Because, again, you got your spouse over there looking real sexy, and some rando is just talking to him, hitting on him. And you got to be cool with it the whole time for eight weeks. You got to see them in that nice, fancy, skimpy outfit, and they're just getting hit on. You got to be like, it's part of the show. I signed up for this. Uh, But, yeah, if you love drama, if you love drama, this is absolutely going to be your cup of tea. Pull up a chair. Get some popcorn. It is it is enthralling, honestly. Like, I, I know it's bad. I know it's terrible, but I couldn't look away. And you won't be able either. It's it's it, it's going to get you. It's going to get you. The ultimatum is going to be Nick and Vanessa Lachey's next big thing. Netflix is going to keep them on their, their channel for the longest time. They're going to keep giving them all kind of dating shows to wax poetically about how they got together and, you know, and connect their personal relationship to whatever dating show they're doing so if you haven't checked it out give it a watch join the drama and know that on the 13th you get to see the reunion and we get to have a fun time like i'm wondering if it's going to be as spicy as the love is blind season two reunion we'll see let me know in the comments if you have a favorite couple off top that you think is going to survive and make it out of this a-okay or a couple that's going to like get together and have a much better relationship than the one they entered it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Hit me up at Marlon's Corner on Instagram or on Facebook. I appreciate you for tuning in today. I appreciate you for vibing out with me. And I look forward to doing so uh, when I come back into your home next time. With that being said, we'll see you later. And we'll catch you in the corner next time on Marlon's Corner. Peace. Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California.